Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be back here in the beautiful mountains in Newland among the saints of God here at this church. It's uh, When you live down in the valley in Morganton, you can, sometimes you forget that uh, that you only have to drive like 15 minutes and you're you're in all this beauty in the mountains, so it's a joy to be here. If you will, turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a, a really short passage today, James chapter 1, verses 5 through verse 8. Some Christians portray great wisdom when they are faced with suffering. There's a pastor in our presbytery who recently passed away because he developed a devastating disease known as ALS. And those of you who have heard of ALS know how terrifying that disease is. When he was diagnosed, he had a very wise response to his diagnosis. He said, I guess now ALS is the ministry that God has chosen for me. Stonewall Jackson, many of you are familiar with Stonewall Jackson, he was asked one time, how can you stay so calm when you're on the battlefield and bullets are flying past you and men are dying everywhere around you? His very wise response to this question was, God has set the time of my death. I do not trouble myself with the fear of death because I know I am right with God. And if all men understood this, all men would be equally brave. These are very wise responses to people in difficult times. These are hearts that are firmly trusting in God, and and they're leaning on the future joys that they know lay beyond all of their trials and all of their troubles. These are the kind of responses that I think all of us desire that we would have when we are faced with tough times, difficult circumstances, and trials in our life. However, these are spotlights, and these are highlights of these men when the mic is on and when they are at their best moments. Now, I don't want to take any way, anything away from these moments. I think we should, we should look to these examples of these great moments in these men's lives. But... I am certain there were times when the toll of ALS absolutely confounded the pastor and his family. And I know from history, there were even times in Stonewall Jackson's life when troubles were enlarged in his heart and in his life. God doesn't expect you at all times to be the absolute rock that Stonewall Jackson was in the best moments of his life. God sends trials your way, and God knows exactly what the trial is going to do. He is not thrown off by the result in your heart from what the trial brings on. He knows you're going to be disoriented. He knows that you will be fearful. He knows that you might even question his goodness and question him. And he knows that as the trial arises, You are going to lack something, and he hopes that you will be aware of your lack of something. You're going to find out how much you lack wisdom. Wisdom 
There's a whole book in the Old Testament written about wisdom, book of Proverbs. Wisdom is basically the skill that is needed to navigate through the trials and the difficulties in our life. In James chapter 1, James has been talking about trials. In verses 1 through 4, he taught that trials are to be expected, but that we are supposed to count them all joy because we know that God has purpose in our trials. In verses 5 through 8, we're going to see that one of those purposes is for us to recognize that the disorientation of the trial is actually used by God to show us our lack and his abundance. Uh, I don't know if it made it in the bulletin, but there's two points to the sermon. Uh, the first point is just verse 5. Where do we turn to for wisdom? And the second point is verses 6 through 8. How to turn to wisdom. So let us look at God's word together in the book of James, verses 5 through 8. Hear the word of your God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James says, if any of you lack wisdom, wisdom, let him ask God. When you are faced with a trial, like a financial hardship, a struggle with a certain sin, trials like looking out into uh, situations like Texas where there was a school shooting and, and being concerned about your own children, it should become evident to you that you lack something. You lack wisdom. Just because we are Christians does not mean that we don't become confused by our trials. There's a sense in which the confusion is actually part of what God wants you to see in the trial. You see, God is not a helicopter parent. You guys remember what a, heli- what a helicopter parent is? He's not hovering over you. Uh, in his parenting, he's not primarily concerned about protecting you from every little thing that might frighten you or perplex you. God's primary concern is strengthening you and helping you to gain and grow in your faith and endurance. In James 1, 2, 1 uh, verses 2 through 4, we see that one of the reasons that God ordains trials is to build endurance within you. And one of the ways that he does this is basically just by making you see that you lack. When God ordains a trial in your life, one of the first and right things you should say in your heart and in your mind is, I'm not ready for this. I feel inadequate to handle this trial. God builds endurance by making us feel our deep dependence upon him. And when you read the words, if any of you lacks wisdom, don't think of your kids. I know as parents, that's the first thing you want to think is, my kids don't have much wisdom. Uh, Don't think about your neighbor. Don't think about the person sitting next to you in the pew. 
Uh, don't think about your boss or your employees. We need to be thinking, that's me. I lack wisdom. I need wisdom. Does not matter where you are in your sanctification. You lack wisdom. Now, you might not lack as much as some other people lack wisdom, but other people are not the standard. God wants you to grow in wisdom. And the godliest man, woman, or child will always need to seek wisdom until the final day when they lack absolutely nothing. So, if we are lacking wisdom, we need to, without hesitation, turn to God who is the source of all wisdom. And James wants to remove any hesitation or shame you might feel for your lack of wisdom by expressing three things he wants you to understand about the God who gives wisdom. So we're going to talk about three ways that God looks to you when you're asking for wisdom. First, God gives wisdom generously. He's a generous God. In Matthew 7, 11, Jesus teaches us about how generous God is when he teaches on prayer. He says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? God is not stingy. God loves to give the good gift of wisdom, and he gives it generously. God is not like the people on, this is probably an old show by now, but there used to be a show on called Hoarders. You guys ever heard of the show Hoarders? These people have like warehouses full of junk, really. Uh, but for them, it's treasure. Uh, God is not like these people holding on to wisdom like it's some type of commodity that he might need for a rainy, rainy day. Uh, he has an infinite supply of wisdom. And he's ready and eager and with great zeal, he wants to give it to you. The second thing James wants us to understand about God is that God gives wisdom to all. God doesn't have a special class of Christians that he gives wisdom to. God doesn't just give wisdom to the deacons or the elders or the pastors. Trust me, he doesn't just give it to pastors. Uh, we all lack wisdom. God isn't like one of these grocery stores. Uh, I don't know, where's the closest grocery store to Newland? I was asking my wife that this morning. Ingalls, is it, is it actually here in Newland? Okay, okay. Uh, so I will... So I can't, I get aggravated with these grocery stores that you have to have the special card to get the special prices. And if you, if I was to come to Newland and I don't, I, we have an Ingalls in Morganton too, but if I was to come here and there wasn't an Ingalls in my town and I shopped at this store, I wouldn't get the special prices. Well, God is not like that. God does not have a special category of his children that he gives special wisdom to. God gives it to all and he gives it to all generously. And the third, and I think probably the most reassuring thing about the way that God gives wisdom, is that he gives it without reproach. God never throws up his hands in frustration and says, Why are you coming to me? Why didn't you listen to me last time? You keep coming to me over and over asking for wisdom, and I give it to you, and you just keep needing more. God gives wisdom to all generously without reproach and without finding fault. 
And this isn't God being overindulgent. So, for instance, it would not be good parenting if I had an endless supply of cars and I kept giving my daughter cars and she kept wrecking them. And I just kept giving her cars over and over. If I did that, she would never learn the lesson of responsibility if I kept indulging her. But with God, the lesson is learned when you ask. Asking is the lesson that God is trying to drive home into your heart. When you realize your lack, when you realize that you are not dependent upon yourself, that you cannot make it uh, on your own steam, and you need to turn to God, that is when you've learned the lesson. And if you are asking, you're being responsible. God purposely sends trials your way so that you will learn your lack, so that you will learn your need and your utter and never-ending dependence upon him. That's the lesson. And God sees success. God sees spiritual maturity in your heart when you stop relying on yourself and you turn and ask God for wisdom. Because let's face it, most of us, we think we can figure things out for ourselves. Turning to God in prayer when we, when we come across a trial might be the second, third, fourth thing that we do. But God wants it to be the first thing that we do. Now, what is James doing here when he describes to us the one who gives wisdom? Well, I, th- I think he's basically just reminding us of the gospel. One of the great flaws for us as Christians in our remaining sin nature is our sin nature wants us to have amnesia about the goodness and grace of God. This is why we need to constantly be reminded of the God of the gospel. When we first hear and believe, we are excited. We're excited to learn that God is a giver, that he gives to all, even a sinner like me. And he gives without reproach. He doesn't hold my past, present, or future sins against me. This is the gospel. And James is simply giving us what we need to remember the gospel when we are faced with our trials. He gives us a reminder of good theology, about the grace of God and the generosity of God. And he just wants us to remember in our trial, remember who your God is. He's there. He's ready. Turn to him. Don't turn to yourself. So, when you feel down, when you feel defeated, you need to be reminded that God is the only source of true, pure goodness and wisdom. I'm going to start doing that too in just a second if I don't drink something. Pollen is killing me. So, let's turn to the next point. James thinking here, reminding us that God is good and that God is the only source of wisdom, helps us with our next point in verses 6 through 8. James says, But let, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
<coughs> Excuse me. Now, it might seem a little double-minded of James to first talk about the generosity of God in giving and then turn around and, and, and say, or seem to say, by the way, God loves you unconditionally. He wants to give you wisdom unconditionally. But when you come to him, you better not come with any doubting. You better not come with, with any lack of faith whatsoever in your heart. Is James actually telling us that if we have doubts, we can no longer have any confidence that God will give us wisdom? Well, thankfully, I don't think that's what he's saying here. And, and the reason is because James is using the word doubt here in a particular way. And the, the key of, to identify the doubter is the word double-minded. The one who doubts is double-minded. And there's actually a better translation for double-minded is double-hearted. This person is double-hearted. <clears throat> the doubter that James is describing is not the Christian who needs to be reminded of God's goodness. They are not the one who needs to be reminded that God is not displeased with them, nor are they the one who needs to be reminded that God is eager to give wisdom. This doubter is one who supposedly wants God while continually continuing to pursue the world's wisdom. I remember watching a movie in the 90s where this kid had got sucked in. I know the 90s was a long time ago. Uh, but yes, I was around in the 90s. But this kid had gotten pulled into, into gang violence, inner city gang violence. His father was a Christian pastor, but his son's way out of the gang violence was that he joined the black Muslim movement. And this boy's Christian pastor father was asked by someone in the movie, what do you think about your son becoming a black Muslim? And his father's response was, well, Jesus can help some, but if Muhammad can help my son, then I'm okay with that. Well, I believe this man is a perfect example of what James is talking about here, being double-minded, double-hearted. He did not understand that his son needed more wisdom than just wisdom to get himself out of the temporal, earthly problem of being in a gang. If this pastor had, had understood the book of James, he would have understood that his son had left one harmful form of earthly wisdom to be influenced by just a different harmful form of earthly wisdom. The Lord wants you to seek him and him alone for wisdom. And this pastor should have known that. The Lord is not just an add-on, something that will keep us from trouble keep our problems at bay while we continue to pursue the world and to pursue our sin. He's the only source of wisdom. And if in your heart you are casually seeking him while you really just want to brush him away so you can embrace the world, James says you will end up being like a wave in the sea, tossed to and fro, lost, and being moved not by your own will but by the will of folly. This type of doubting 
does not understand the lesson that God wants you to learn in the trial. You are dependent upon the one true God, the God of the Bible. He is the only source of wisdom. And the double-hearted seeker is still seeking the wisdom of self. So they're not really learning the lesson of asking God and learning the lesson of dependence upon God. They're trying to use God in order to worship self. That is the heart of the double-minded. And self-dependence is the heart of worldly wisdom. And James, if you continue reading the book of James, James talks a lot more about these topics of worldly wisdom and double-mindedness in chapters 3 and chapter 4. Now, in conclusion, I just want to sum up a few things that James wants us to understand about wisdom in our trials. First, James expects trials to disorient us. He wants us to count our trials joy, not because of the pain and disorientation, but because the trial is producing endurance. Part of endurance is the gradual but continual revealing to the heart that we are not self-sufficient. We lack. We are dependent. And when the trial reveals our lack of wisdom, we need to cling to this one simple command. James only gives one command in this whole passage. Ask. Ask God. Turn to God. Seek God. He is there. He's ready. And He's eager to give wisdom to those who ask of Him. Now here's the difficult thing for most of us. We want, we want the wisdom fast. We want it to be immediate. But when God gives it, it's not necessarily going to be immediate. It's not going to be overwhelming. It may not feel like a revelation or a sudden change of your attitude. But God will give the wisdom. And one thing we always need to keep in mind is that sanctification is a long process. If you don't feel wise, that's, there's a reason for that. Because there's no fast track to wisdom. Nobody's written a book, one of those yellow books, called Wisdom for Dummies. There's no quick way to get there. You might be able to use YouTube to change your carburetor or something like that, but you're not going to be able to watch a 20-minute YouTube video and gain wisdom. There's no fast track to wisdom. Wisdom is right here. And you don't read, just read this one time and, and you're wise. You have to mine the jewels and the treasures out of this word, word for your entire life. That is how you become wise. And for those who enjoy the work, you get to do it for the rest of your life. When we look at the writing of King David, we see that David was disoriented by his trials. But David knew the lesson of asking. He learned how to ask God. In Psalm 25, David said, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. 
Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. David was not without doubts. David was not without fears, and we know if we read the life of David, he was not without troubles. He had many troubles. His belief and his faith were not perfect. But David knew who to ask when he needed wisdom. David did not seek Dagon. If you don't know who Dagon is, that was one of the pagan gods of his time. And he didn't seek Baal along with God. And he asked for forgiveness. David knew that he could not continue seeking his sin while seeking the Lord as just some type of add-on while he continued to try to build his selfish kingdom. David was weak, but he was not double-minded in his asking. He sought the Lord with sincerity of heart, and he knew that God is the only fountainhead of wisdom. So remember, your trials are not brought about by God to make you feel like this is the time to prove myself. My trial is not about proving me, proving who I am. You are not the hero of the story of your trial. Jesus Christ is the hero of the story of every one of your trials. Trials are a time to recognize that you lack wisdom. Trials make you turn to God and turn away from yourself and seek wisdom. And remember that the God of all wisdom is also the giving God who gives it all generously and without reproach. And if you need a reminder and proof of God's willingness to give to you, hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Lord has given you Jesus Christ. So please don't doubt that he is ready and willing and eager to give you from the treasure house of his wisdom. Amen. If you will rise, we're going to sing, what's the number? 175. I'm not looking.